Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Infection Control Matters. It's Martin Kiernan here this week, and my special guest is Professor Jenny Wilson. Now, Professor Jenny Wilson is, um, I'll class her as an old friend, but that's not very polite. So I'd say a friend I've known for some time. Uh, and I've, I, you know, the, the um, conflict alert is I work with Jenny at the University of West London. Um, but I've known Jenny for a long time. She's currently the president of the IPS. She had a stellar career in places like Public Health England and Imperial before joining the university. Uh, and she's just written an editorial in the Journal of Infection Prevention that came out uh, in the middle of November, talking about revisiting contact precautions 25 years on. And the co-author was Professor Jackie Prieto as well. So I thought it might be worth a discussion, really. And um, it's fair to say, I mean, I'm, I'm not normally very perceptive, but reading through the editorial, Jenny, you're not too impressed, are you now? It's time to move on. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I have been concerned about contact precautions for some time. And I guess it started because of the work that I've done on glove use. So it became apparent through the work that we've done on glove use in at least three different hospitals that the attitude that is common is that you have to wear gloves with everybody because you don't know what infection anybody's got and therefore gloves are required mm. and so my perception from that was that people were conflating standard proportions i.e. you use gloves for contact with blood and body fluid, and contact proportions where we're asking people to wear gloves for all contact with patients. And you can sort of understand why staff then go, well, I don't really know who's got an infection. And therefore, because you're asking me to wear gloves with these people who we know have an infection, then presumably I have to wear gloves for everybody. So that's where my concern about contact precautions sort of started to be heightened. And for the benefit of listeners who may not be familiar with the difference between standard and contact, could you just mm -hmm. say that? Well, that is quickly because we sometimes have some non-IPC specialists listening in as well. Okay. So I think it's quite important to go back to the conception of standard precautions, which goes back to the mid-1990s. And in fact, it really came out of learning about HIV as a cause of AIDS and a sudden uh, alert that body fluids could present a real risk to staff because they might contain bloodborne viruses. But rightly, I think, infection control practitioners at the time said, well, hang on a minute, body fluids contain a, a high concentration of potential pathogens, and it makes a lot of sense the staff to put protection on their hands so they don't have direct contact with those high concentrations of body fluids. So standard precautions emanated from that. It includes many elements of practice, not just hand hygiene and use of PPE, in particular gloves. But the concept is really that you need to take a basic set of infection control precautions with every patient that you have contact with in order to minimise the risk of transmission of pathogens or potential pathogens that all of us carry on our, our skin or in our body fluid. But that hand hygiene is adequate 
for all those situations that we have contact with patients, but it's sensible to put on PPE when you have contact for body fluid. And that's so based that, on a risk assessment of your potential exposure to a body fluid, not a person. That's absolutely. Right. So the gloves and, and the other protective clothing, the risk assessment is, am I going to be contaminated directly by body fluid, either by it splashing over me um, or in contact with my hands? And I make that risk assessment, or you should make that risk assessment and choose the protective clothing um, appropriately. And then along with that, we also assume that any equipment in contact with patients may pick up potential pathogens that so has to be cleaned between patients and so on. Hmm. Contact precautions came about at the same time, but in a in a slightly non-specific sort of way. So standard precautions were were described in 1996. And at the same time, that particular American guidance said that contact precautions should be used for patients with a known um, it, it, who were known to be infected or colonized with some specific pathogens that they felt were epidemiologically significant. Mm. And I, their thinking was really there were huge concerns in the States at the time beginning to emerge about vancomycin-resistant enterococci. And so huge concern about the environment possibly having a role in that and that the organism would be carried on the skin. And therefore, the concern was, well, we better take precautions with any contact with this patient because they've got these epidemiologically significant pathogens. And so... The concept of contact precautions, which was this sort of essentially use of PPE and putting patients in a single room for pathogens of specific epi epidemiological significance, although that wasn't really um, clearly elucidated, if you like. There wasn't a clear rationale for, for, for conditions where contact precautions would be required based on any sort of analysis of evidence. It was more a sort of gut feeling, if you like, oh, well, we perhaps ought to do something extra for these things mm. we're particularly concerned about. Mm. Okay, so what's your beef? <laughs> <laughs> so the, it's, it's quite interesting how... Uh, so they were they were recommended as this concept in 1996, um, and it was acknowledged in that guideline that it was not based on evidence. It was simply the sort of great and good saying, oh, this seems like a good idea. Mm. And as the sort of proponents of of standard precautions in a slightly different format, but but they were leaders in in the field at the time, um, uh, Jackson and Lynch said it's sort of like you're saying, oh, do these extra things because we don't really trust you to wash your hands. And yeah. therefore, we're going to add in some PPE because then it doesn't really matter if you wash your hands. Um, so it wasn't evidence-based. It was sort of based more on the presumption that people wouldn't do what you wanted them to do. And indeed, the, really, the real irony of it is that, in fact, when that guideline was updated in 2007, so what, 10 years later, um, again, not based on evidence review, but that guideline, the Siegel guideline, sort of referred to problems with adherence to contact precautions. So it was yeah. recognised even then that people were not changing their gloves between different yeah. tasks on the same patient. They weren't changing their gloves on leaving the room. So those problems with adherence to contact precautions were recognised then. 
but nothing was really recommended to address that or even consider whether actually the reason for introducing contact precautions, i.e. we don't really trust people to wash their hands, actually had been replaced by actually we can't really trust people to do contact precautions, so should we reconsider how we approach Mm. these particular pathogens? I mean, sometimes we go down the, well, we don't really know, so we use the Islajet methodology. It seemed like a good idea at the time, which is probably (laughs) what this is. Yes, absolutely it is. But if it's robust, the evidence eventually emerges, and we're Uh 25 years in, and we don't really have any yet, do we? No. In fact, possibly the reverse is true. Yeah, and I I wouldn't say that there is no evidence that contact precautions work, but of course... Trying to assess whether they work or not is complicated by the type of studies that you tend to have where they're used. Mm. So if you look at almost any study where contact precautions has been suggested as as an effective strategy, usually it's in response to a major outbreak. And Mm. so a lot of other interventions will be put in at the same time. So it's very difficult to discriminate which of those actually had the greatest effect or indeed any effect. It may have just been that you have an outbreak, everybody takes it all a lot more seriously and a whole, a whole, the, the whole adherence to infection control is improved and the outbreak disappears. Um, mm. So discriminating it is difficult. It's quite likely there are some specific pathogens where there is strong evidence that they persist in the environment in significant amounts. So, you know, pathogens exist in the environment and all pathogens are transmitted by contact in some form or another. Um, So, so, but for those where there is significant persistence, particularly if they're spore formers like C. diff, you, you know, it's probably not unreasonable to say, well, PPE is particularly relevant to these organisms provided it is removed between different tasks on the same patient and before you leave the room. Um, But if you look at evidence, broader evidence for contact precautions, most of the studies show that it doesn't make any difference in terms of transmission Mm. um, or or acquisition of new cases of of infections that we would commonly use it for. So the antimicrobial resistant gram negatives or gram positives. Um, there's There's no strong evidence that using contact precautions reduces transmission. I mean, I've seen a number of papers, and you've cited some in your editorial, mm-hmm. that where they've done the study and had a look at removing contact precautions. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Gonzalo Bierman's work, they actually had a pretty robust bundle of other horizontal interventions in place. So the removal mm-hmm. of contact precautions actually not only did it not make things worse, it actually reduced some invasive device-related infections. Now, to me, when I look at that, I think, okay, contact precautions is standard plus PPE for everyone plus side But if you look at the many of the settings that those studies are done in, they're all in either single or dual rooms anyway, and it's not really directly applicable to something like the UK NHS where you may be in a room of four, six, or eight. Mm-hmm. But also, your, your point about wearing gloves for everybody for all the, all the time, you're right. They, they don't change them between doing a task on a clean side of the body and a dirty side of the body. So actually, Gonzalo found that the device-related infections went down because they reverted to standard precautions and therefore, hopefully, only wore gloves when it was appropriate and did change them. And am I interpreting yeah. that correctly, do you think? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think the Beerman studies are interesting because although it's an interrupted time series, so you know, it's not a 
a sort of gold standard design. It is a well-designed interrupted time series with the limitations that you have with a set of interventions introduced over a period of time, but it's got a, mm. a reasonably robust approach to analysis. And I have to say, you know, this idea that people put on gloves when they enter a contact precautions room and never change it, to me, is a huge hazard for those patients. And particularly a hazard for the very patients that we put in isolation like that. So people with multi-drug resistant organisms are generally colonized by those organisms. But if they have invasive devices and we are not changing gloves between contact with that patient and handling their invasive device, then we are highly likely to introduce infection. And actually, I think COVID has shown us that. But, I mean, it's quite astounding if you look at the data on the incidence of bloodstream infections of common pathogens that cause bloodstream infection, gram-negative and gram-positive, you can see massive spikes in the national data associated with the COVID pandemic. And we know that those patients in ITU who are most vulnerable to those sort of invasive bloodstream infections, we know that those patients were being cared with the same pair of gloves all the time, because in many ICUs, the, the PPE is simply not removed between patients. Um, so that is other circumstantial evidence that tells us that the way we wear PPE has real and really serious effects on transmitting infection and actually putting patients at risk um, yeah. when we put them in contact precautions. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually spoke to uh, Lorraine Herbal back in May on an earlier podcast about the sequence of care and how people get that wrong a lot of the time and they're yeah. actually performing a task that actually contaminates their hands, which really does increase the risk to the patient when they perform a subsequent clean task. And is that yeah. because we're not teaching people appropriately? Is it because they're just putting the gloves on and not thinking? Or, you know, what, what do you think the crux of that is? Is it, is it partly our responsibility to teach people about the sequence of care that we're not getting those messages over? Yeah, I think it's, it's all of those things. So I agree with you. I think my experience of, of working with infection control students in trying to understand a sequence of care is that often people think about clean things and dirty things, but the way they think about clean and dirty things is more in terms of, oh, am I going to get am I going yeah. to get dogs on my hands? It's so they see that as a me. dirty procedure. So if you yeah. look at a urine catheter, for example, um, staff think of that as being dirty, which it is. It's full of body fluid, but actually to the patient, it's an invasive device. And if right. you transfer pathogens onto that catheter bag as you empty it, then you are potentially introducing infection to that device and, and that will be harmful to the patient. So, mm. so that comes back to, I think, both from an infection control practitioner perspective, thinking much more deeply about those episodes of care and and what it means to clinical staff when they're doing it, and as infection control practitioners thinking really clearly about where the risks lie. Mm. And of course, that comes back to how we tend to teach um, hand hygiene. Uh, this would be the subject of a whole nother podcast about the five moments of hand hygiene yeah. and how we tend to use that as a blanket. Oh, well, decontaminate your hands before contact with the patient, you know, after handling body fluid, so on, your five moments. But actually, because we just present that diagram and say, right, do that, 
we don't really think about the delivery care in the episode of care as it occurs. So a, a staff yeah. member is highly unlikely to just go to a patient and do one thing. They do a whole set of things. And actually, yeah. the five moments of hand hygiene isn't terribly useful in helping people discriminate the points in care where they're moving from moment one to moment two, moment three, and back to moment one. I mean, it's the episodes where you go into see a patient and you're going to be dealing with their IV device and you're all set up nicely and they yeah. say, just pass me yeah. that, will you, dear? Yeah. Or, or I've just had an accident in the bed and you think, oh, actually, I don't really want to be doing this yeah. while there's all this contamination around. So you clean up the contamination and then yeah. don't clean your hands and then go and contaminate the line. It's, it's about, And I'm not sure people are making the connection between what they're doing no. Know, with, not purposely, but they're just thinking, I'm in the room, I have my PPE on, and this is an episode of care, not lots of small episodes of care that some present a greater yeah. risk than others. Yeah, and the, and the PPE, and again, our research shows this, is predominantly worn because the staff perceive they're protecting themselves. And whilst I'm sure they don't want to cause harm to the patient, the you're right that we don't, teach people clearly enough about the risks because if if staff understood better and could sort of see that pathogens transferring on their gloved hands Mm. to the different things they're touching i think that would really help them to think oh i really need to be careful because i'm going to introduce infection to this patient whereas they don't think like that they're wearing gloves because we're telling them that this patient has got some horrible infection and they're going, oh, I don't really want that horrible infection. So I'm wearing PPE. People are telling me I have to wear PPE. That's the most important thing you can do is wear PPE. They're audited on it. You know, and if they don't wear PPE, then they get into trouble. So we're telling them that PPE is the most important thing. But actually, that then makes it quite difficult to say to them, oh, yeah, PPE is important. But on the other hand, you actually have to take it off and wash your hands because you are going to transfer pathogens to this invasive device and so this is exactly what we saw with covid staff wore ppe because they were fearful of getting it onto themselves and so we're not going to take it off um, between tasks because they see the ppe as being about them not about the patient yeah i mean actually we had we ended up putting posters up in the night ago when i worked in there saying because you wear a base layer going into the clinical area and the poster saying this ppe is just for me yeah you have to wear others for your patient yeah. To protect yeah. them, which is a different yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 And of course, you know, the other thing that I think staff struggle with, and maybe COVID did help with this, uh, is that they see gloves as protecting themselves, but actually they tend to just take them off, throw them in the bin. Yes. Our research showed that that about 40% of the time they might wash their hands, but the other 60% they didn't. And we know that as they take them off, they just transfer what's on the gloves or indeed on their aprons directly onto their hands. So this feeds into my narrative, which is how sure are we that contact precautions is a good thing? Mm. It might be a bad thing. And I think there is quite a body of evidence that shows that it is a bad thing. So we need to have another look at it. Yeah, that's why I liked about Gonzalo's Beerman's paper. You know, they, they yeah. show by getting rid of contact precautions, yeah. actually they got a reduction in yeah. device-associated yeah. infections, yeah. which probably means people are only yeah. wearing the gloves for specific items yeah. of care, which is yeah. a better way, really. Yeah, and it, and it would, I feel, it would really help staff understand those points of risk in where mm. they're caring for patients and understand better how microorganisms exist 
everywhere in the environment, on the surface of our skin. But hand hygiene actually removes them. And it sort of removes them better than gloves because when we do use gloves, then A, we get our hands very contaminated. But then as we take the gloves off, we contaminate our hands. So, you know, thinking about thinking about this in a little bit more detail and linking it to the microbiology just might actually help people to make better decisions to protect patients. I just, I just think we have to be better at explaining that aspect of it yes. because I've heard plenty of people saying, oh, I read a paper saying you don't need contact precautions. So that means we don't need to isolate these people. Yeah. And, you know, for some organisms, like, like as you mentioned, C. diff, there are a number that actually will persist in the environment quite well. Yeah. It's actually both things and it's, and it's they've yeah. taken the wrong part of the message and it's the, it's the PPE use you have to think a little yeah. bit less about than the, than the actual single room. Because the papers yeah. come from areas where there's mostly single rooms. So you can't say that you've actually got rid of what we would consider to be contact precautions. No, absolutely. But also, it's very interesting in the SPIGIL guideline, which most people sort of refer back to as their source for contact precautions. But actually, the guideline also uh, describes standard precautions, slightly updated from the original version in '96. And part of standard precautions, part of standard precautions is patient placement. So mm. if yeah. you are placing a patient in a side room because you're saying mm, they've got raging diarrhea, I'm a bit concerned about that. It may be an infectious yeah. cause or cause. I'm going to apply standard precautions because I do it all the time. So I will, ha- I will use gloves to handle their diarrhea. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll use hand hygiene for the rest of the care. Yeah. I don't quite understand what's wrong with that. No, it, it I don't seems either. like perfectly good, effective infection control, and it's dealing with the situation long before you know whether the patient's got an infection or not. But why do we have to change the precautions when we know they've got an infection, when those precautions actually are perfectly effective? Yeah, okay. So where can we go forward from this then? We've had 25 years of it. Yeah. What, why, where do we go with this, and how do we sell the message? <laughs> it's... um. I mean, it's very challenging because um, standard guidance um, that, that certainly hospitals in the UK are expected to adhere to just simply refer to contact precautions. And they all link back to the cycle guidelines. They often don't even link back as far as the original 1996 guidelines. But 2007... Um, and the SIGO guidelines were not really up to the standard that we would use today for evidence review to form guidelines. They were not based on systematic review of evidence. There wasn't appraisal of that evidence in a robust format as we would do now. And as you rightly point out, they were very much directed in an American market where uh, gowns are widely used, they don't use plastic aprons, and where they have a predominance of single room accommodation. So we really need a proper review of the evidence. It needs to consider the evidence for and get against contact precautions, which was not considered in Siegel, and it needs mm-hmm. to consider the issues around adherence and also how the whole concept of contact precaution fits in with the hierarchy of controls, because actually there are far better strategies for controlling transmission of infection that we're now beginning to, to recognise so much more in terms mm-hmm. of... preventing overcrowding in terms of ventilation. So we should stop seeing infection control just in terms of PPE, because that's essentially what contact precautions does. It says, worry about the PPE, but on 
it, with with the hierarchy of controls, PPE is at the bottom, not the top. Yes. Yeah, um, it has become to the top, and it's, that's really not great for a sustainable world either, is it? No. Look at the amount of plastic that's going. No, it's you know, effectively wasted. I think. Yeah, and it's wasted in two ways, isn't it? Firstly, because the, the amount of energy that goes into making all these gloves, mm -hmm. and then the pollution of the environment the yep. in getting rid of them. To say yep. nothing about the numbers that are incinerated and adding yet more, more carbon back into the environment. So, you know, we really, it, there is an onus on infection control practitioners to stand up here and say, we need to be practicing infection control that is based on proper evidence, yep. a clear thinking rationale. I'm not saying contact precautions is never required, but we need to be really careful to have thought through clearly the situations mm -hmm. where it makes a difference where there is sufficient yeah. evidence that, that that additional level of precaution is necessary and actually stop using it for large numbers of organisms where it really isn't going to add anything beyond standard precautions. Apart from potentially increasing risk to patients through inappropriate yeah. use. Yeah, abs absolutely. Okay, well, I think that about sums it up. Yes. Um, it's a rant so. for both yes. of us, but, yes. but you know, it is time for a new paradigm. I think, though, really, and to put, for people to think. And you know, after twenty-five years, evidence hasn't emerged. Possibly, yeah. the opposite is true. Yeah. As in things like laminar flow, you know, we all yeah. thought they were great, but actually, some yeah. evidence has, has emerged that probably not as quite as good as it was. And you know, we have to learn from the evidence that's yeah. in front of us, or or you know, or learn from the fact that it hasn't appeared. And start thinking again, really, and, and start working at how we can sell a new message to people because this has become embedded now. Glove use for everything yeah. has, embed, has embedded yeah. itself, hasn't it? Yeah, and I and I would urge everybody to look at the data um, on on the increase in bloodstream infections associated with COVID because that is a serious wake up call. We know why that happened, and that tells us really clearly that this misuse of PPE that goes on all the time with contact precautions is responsible for causing infections in these patients. And of course, the mortality associated with those gram-negative bloodstream infections is at least 30%. So we're killing yeah. people. And I think you're absolutely right that so often we carry on doing what we've always done. Mm. And, and we don't stop to question, well, what does the evidence say? We just pick up the guideline and say, oh, yeah, this is what the evidence says, without actually really seriously looking at what are the questions we need to ask of the evidence and, and update it, thinking really carefully about the rationale of what you're trying to, to achieve um, and what the relevant questions are that you need to ask of the literature. Well, it'd be really nice to think that something positive will come out of all this last couple of years of yeah. pain, you know, going yeah. forward. And um, you know, I really appreciate you sparing me, you know, half an hour to chat about this. And you now we'll turn the microphones off in a minute and go back to using bad language, talking about the <laughs> terrible political system in the UK. But anyway, thanks very much for joining me. Jenny. It's an absolute pleasure. You know, I always love a bit of a rant. Yes. Well, you're very good at it, as am I. <laughs> That's probably to do with our hair colour. Yeah. Uh, anyway, nice to see you again. Thank and you. thanks everybody for listening and uh, look forward to speaking to you again on a future edition of Intrepid Control Matters. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.